want to go to Dr. Joshua's case. This 80-year-old woman saw me after she had had a biopsy proven breast cancer. Her history goes back to 1993 when she was diagnosed with uh, right-sided breast cancer, had a lumpectomy, radiation therapy, and was placed on tamoxifen for five years. She was under the care of somebody else at that time. She says that about several months prior to this, she hurt her breast, and she found a redness on the skin, and she thought it was because she had the trauma. But it didn't go away, so finally she went and saw her physician, had a mammogram. Mammogram showed a 6-centimeter mass also involving the skin being thickened in the breast. So on examination, her breast was enlarged, and she had redness over the skin, and the biopsy area was weeping. Actually, some liquid was coming out of that area. It was necrotic, poorly differentiated adenocarcinoma, ERPR, and HER2 new negative. Could you talk a little bit more about the woman herself, what her lifestyle was like at that point in her general state of health? She's an 80-year-old woman. She's very active, very pleasant. Her daughter is a physician in Houston, very well-read, knowledgeable woman. She had had a mammogram in September of last year, and it did not show anything abnormal in the same breast. Going back to the original pathology, the pathologist reviewed the old slides, and she was ERPR positive and HER2 new negative, and it was a moderately differentiated carcinoma. She felt this mass herself? She saw this redness, and the breast was getting larger, and that's what brought her to the physician. Spouse? She's a widow. Overall, you look at her, did she look 80? Did she look 70? You know, no, actually, she did not look 80. She's a small-made woman, did not look 80. She was very active and fully functional. She's living by herself. I think she has a pet, and she goes for walks, and very active lifestyle. Proactive approach towards the tumor? Or she was very compliant, asking us as to what should be done. But was open to what you open might Open to any suggestions. I should add that she was, you know, I don't know, this MDVIP situation, she's one of those patients. So you felt a little bit of pressure there? No, not really. No. And was either the patient or her physician daughter out on the Internet bringing information back to you? No, not really. Her daughter did not call me until afterwards, and I've worked with that physician for a long time, and there's a lot of confidence going on there. So, Lisa, we have an 80-year-old lady with triple negative locally advanced disease. Boy, I have to say that in a healthy 80-year-old woman with this particular disease, I have a tendency to use more or less the same approach that I do in the younger people. I think she's likely to be responsive to chemotherapy, and high muscles data and others is reassuring that she's likely to tolerate chemotherapy. That said, I have a tendency to use of our modern regimens, one with the least toxicity, and I would probably do a dose-dense ACT-type neoadjuvant approach in her She may need a little more growth factor support than the average patient because of her age, but otherwise she should hopefully do well. And then I would send her for mastectomy. I assume this is also on the right-hand side? Same side, yes. Ipsilateral. Anything new in the biology of triple negative disease? You've done a lot of work in that area and also the issue of platinums. So the triple negative, what we call triple negative in the hands of a good pathologist, most of them are what's called the basal-like subtype of breast cancer which is its own sort of biologic entity. It's highly proliferative. And the reason that the platinum agents come up is because when women with BRCA1 mutations get breast cancer, that's the kind of breast cancer that they most often get. And BRCA1 
mutations confer platinum sensitivity, at least in the ovarian cancer setting. And there are theoretical and preclinical reasons to believe that may be the case across the board, simply because of the impact of the BRCA1 pathway on response to DNA damage. So there's a lot of preclinical rationale for it, but there's two problems, the flies in the ointment. One is there's really very little clinical data that the triple negative responds to platinum agents any differently than any other breast cancer. There's a small neoadjuvant study from Dana-Farber with a pathologic complete response rate in the mid-20s with single-agent cisplatin that's encouraging But frankly, these tumors tend to be chemosensitive in general. So whether that's a platinum sensitivity or a general sensitivity to primary chemotherapy is not clear. And the second is that, you know, I sort of call this the guilt by association thing. Most triple negative breast cancers, including probably in this patient, have nothing to do with germline BRCA1 mutations. And it's not clear that the BRCA1 pathway is deranged in sporadic basal-like breast cancer. And I say probably in this patient because this is her second breast cancer. It's phenotypically different, so she's now had two breast cancers, which puts her at higher risk for an inherited form. So to make a long story short, I typically use the same drugs in triple negative breast cancer as I do in any others. There is a clinical trial, actually, it's being run through CALGB neoadjuvantly that will look at the addition of platinum agents to taxanes in triple negative. It's a stage two to early stage three breast cancer cohort. And so that will be tested in a randomized setting with a neoadjuvant path CR endpoint. So we'll know a little more, hopefully, in a year or so. What about the issue of EGFR in triple negative tumors and that as a treatment strategy? The basal-like subtype in preclinical models appears dependent on EGFR in a way that other subtypes don't appear to be. And it is clearly one of the genes that defines the basal-like subtype. Whether that can be exploited through inhibition, it can be in cell line models, but whether that plays out in human breast cancer has yet to be proven. And I think, unfortunately, for a lot of our therapies, we may also find that just targeting one thing, as we're starting to find with the HER2, you may need to target more than one thing to get where you want to be. So now there are at least two trials that will be reported in part at San Antonio, one from a consortium of academic institutions where the single-agent arm followed by a combination of cetuximab plus carboplatin will be reported, and then a U.S. oncology study of irinotecan, carboplatin, and cetuximab will also be reported, at least the early data from both of those. So we'll get a hint. Do you know what that hint is? No, I don't. (laughs) Eric, what would you be likely to treat this patient with? And where are we right now? Are we talking about high must and elderly patients with the CLGB trial looking at capecitabine versus AC or CMF in the older patients? Well, I would treat this woman with the same therapy that I would treat a 40 or 50-year-old woman or a 30-year-old woman. And the only difference would be, as Lisa said, I would pay close attention to the supportive care issues. I think we know that older women, when treated with chemotherapy, have less in the way of nausea and vomiting, but have more myelosuppression. And from High's data in the CLGB, there's the suggestion that, while not commonly, that fatal toxicities from chemotherapy are, are a little bit more common in older than in younger women. They're still very uncommon, but we just have to watch older women more closely. And I don't think that is particularly a surprise. 
So what specific regimen? I would treat her with any third-generation chemotherapy regimen. So our preference would be to give her dose-dense AC followed by paclitaxel. You could give her TAC. You could give her FECDOC. You could give her any of these regimens, and I think that they would all be fine. If you were uncomfortable using an anthracycline, you could start with the taxane. And if she had a contraindication to an anthracycline entirely, you could use an entirely taxane-based regimen. But I would try to give her the same therapy I would give a younger person. And my bias is that we underutilize chemotherapy in older women with ER negative disease and that we underutilize chemotherapy in a palliative setting. And I realize that this isn't that in older women as well. And that we probably, conversely, overutilize chemotherapy in older women who have ER positive breast cancer where we should think long and hard, particularly in the adjuvant setting, about what we're doing there. She's 88. Same answer? This is a woman who's got a symptomatic triple negative breast cancer. This is not going to be an easy way for her to exit this earth. And I would still want to treat this The older she is, the less functional she is, the more I'm going to try to adjust the chemotherapy. Maybe in that woman, I'm going to use weekly paclitaxel as my initial regimen rather than come in with an anthracycline. But it's going to be based on her functional status much more so than her age. And I think that this is the one setting where age probably doesn't matter a whole lot. In terms of the CLGB trial, with capecitabine versus standard therapy. That study reached its accrual goal and is being followed, and there aren't any results yet, and I don't think we really anticipate presenting anything for at least some amount of time, meaning at least another year. Lisa? The only thing I would add is, so for the 80-year-old woman who's otherwise healthy, our local therapists would be inclined to perform a mastectomy as they would otherwise, and she would probably receive radiation therapy in the adjuvant setting. She had already had radiation therapy before. Oh, that's right. It's part of her. So, well, so a mastectomy. That's right. I think as you get older and older, the likelihood that as a group, we would perceive her therapy as palliative goes up. And as somebody gets into their late 80s, you know, there's sort of a magic number in the 80s where the effect of adhering to standard of care principles goes down because their likelihood of dying of something else goes up, even in a healthy person. And when they get into the late 80s, I suspect that my surgeons would start having a less enthusiastic view of taking her to general surgery. And so we would end up in a palliative mode. And I think when that happens, then you can start with a single agent and see if you can get good palliation for a while. And we've certainly done that for a year or two in patients like this. What happened with this patient? Well, we had a long discussion with the patient's daughter, who's a physician and a doctor. The surgeon who biopsied her thought that she should get chemotherapy, and that's why he initiated the consult initially. When the patient went back to the surgical office, she was seen by a younger surgeon, his colleague, who was frantic. He called me up and he said, this patient needs mastectomy right away. So anyway, I saw her and we talked about it and we talked about pros and cons. Metastatic workup was negative. She had a good ejection fraction on a MAGA scan. So we decided to treat her with neoadjuvant chemotherapy and I gave a TAC and Nulasta. After one treatment itself, she showed some dramatic clinical improvement. After two cycles of treatment, her breast size had gone down. The redness is almost completely gone. A mammogram showed significant improvement, but there was some necrosis. It was like a big necrotic factor inside. She had three cycles of chemo and then underwent a mastectomy. 
in pathology, there was no evidence of tumor in the breast. How about the axillary? Did they do an axillary dissection? No, she had had axillary Right, that's right, previously. she had it before. What did the surgeon say when she started to see what was going on? Well, obviously the original surgeon, and we were all <laughs> thrilled. And So that's where she's at. She's now post-op. She's had three cycles and mastectomy and complete pathological response. So she's post-op right now. That's where yes. she's at? Yes, So, Eric, any further therapy or are you done? So I just have to comment. With all due respect for the surgeon, doesn't she have a major contraindication for surgery, which is that she has what appears to be inflammatory breast cancer? It was a necrotic, poorly differentiated. I mean, but it was, it was redness. So, I mean, she had a yes. locally advanced breast cancer. So, yes. I mean, in spite of the fact that your surgeon wanted to take her immediately to the OR. Oh, that was a young surgeon. That would have been the one thing that I wouldn't have done. No, since, you didn't do it. Right? No, 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 absolutely. I mean, you know. But it is it, a little bit scary. It is a little scary. Young and she not, is the man. person who, three weeks later in the flaps, you would have had cancer with some likelihood. So she's had a pathologic complete response with three cycles of chemotherapy. I don't know the right answer here. In a younger woman, we and would... And she com- cannot have any more radiation. Right. right. In a younger woman, we would complete the course of chemotherapy. She's 80. She's otherwise in reasonable health. I would be inclined to give her some additional therapy. Certainly, if by cycle five or six, she were looking like she weren't doing as well, I might abort it a bit. But I think I would try to embark on a little more therapy at this point in time. How exactly did she do with the chemo? Fatigue, neutropenia, anything? She actually did fairly well. We gave her Nulasta, so she did not have neutropenia. She needed some red cell growth factor support during the treatment, which is not unlike any other patients. So Lisa, you want to give her some more chemo? This is where we're all affected by our biases. In truth, we would have given this patient all of the chemo up front, and I would probably have a pretty frank discussion with the patient about the fact that we don't know about the effectiveness of three cycles of TAC. What we're all lulled into this temptation by is the pathologic complete response she's had. And in multiple data sets, pathologic complete responses are associated with very good outcome. And I think most of us in our heart of hearts believe that it is likely that there are a group of patients for whom less chemotherapy is perfectly fine, and maybe this is the way to define them. But all of those data sets had a defined amount of chemo that was prescribed and that was completed. So we can't generalize to stopping early here because, in fact, you may need those additional cycles of chemotherapy to effectively complete the micrometastatic treatment, which is what you're really trying to treat. So I would probably finish it, in, although someday I hope we might be able to tailor our therapy using this kind of a strategy. Seems to me that four cycles of therapy is the most minimum amount of therapy that we would typically give to somebody with breast cancer. So that's why I'm pushing to do at least a little more. And if you could finish it, do it. What fraction overall in your practice of patients are over age 80? I get the feeling, Eric, that that 80 to 85, 90 is when we start thinking differently. It is, although this is a little different from standard adjuvant therapy. When we talk about adjuvant therapy, most of us aren't in a rush to give a lot of therapy to an 85-year-old for sure, and even an 80-year-old, but it's where we need to think about biologics, subtypes of breast cancer, and their patterns of recurrence. Again, women with ER-positive breast cancer are as likely to have late recurrences at a time when an 85-year-old might not be alive as an early recurrence. Women with ER triple negative and HER2-positive breast cancer have early recurrences. So those recurrences, if they are... And don't have late recurrences. And don't tend to have late recurrences. So preventing that early recurrence, which is likely to be in this woman's lifespan, becomes more important. 
I was thinking of, at our colon cancer think tank, Rich Goldberg, we were talking about this issue of using adjuvant chemo in the older patient. He talked about this woman, I think she was around 88 or 90, a whole bunch of positive nodes, and he just could not bring himself to give chemo. And, you know, eight months later, she relapsed, and yet he said, I had to give her the same chemo, except now instead of trying to cure her, it was palliative. It was kind of a really interesting perspective. And the ER-negative groups, you know, I think one thing we've learned from Don Berry's analyses is that when we get more sophisticated with chemotherapy, it seems to preferentially impact the early relapses, and that's exactly when these patients are at highest risk. So you may benefit her at her 82nd and 83rd year quite substantially by this. I think that's really the question that I ask myself with these older people. If they're going to relapse, would I treat them, you know, at that time with chemotherapy? If the answer is yes, then it makes it easier to justify the adjuvant therapy. But in the woman who's got a moderately differentiated ER-positive tumor who's in her early 80s, even with a large tumor and multiple positive nodes, the real question is, how much are you going to add to endocrine therapy with chemotherapy, and that's what's very different in these settings of triple negative disease and HER2 positive disease.